Hi, welcome to the Midtown Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check out our website and social media. And now, this week's message. Well, we did move worship to the end today, and I, I think you'll see why in a minute. I think it's going to make a whole, a whole lot of sense. We're going to look at a passage that just seems to erupt into worship. And it comes from Colossians chapter 1. So if you brought your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and turn there. If you didn't and need one, we can get you one. They're stacked all throughout the room. You can use your device. If you're watching online, we want to say a word of greeting to you as well. I'm chuckling because recently we said, what would dads like for Father's Day at church? And Jay, I think, was like, not to be there. Like, I think most dads are like... <laughs> And so I think a lot of us are watching online, and we're so glad. Colossians chapter 1, while you turn, I'm sorry, Jay, if that wasn't you, it was one of us made that joke, which is probably accurate. Um, I'm curious, while you're turning there, if anybody can relate to the excitement of getting a new iPhone. You know what I'm talking about? When you get a new iPhone, when it's either mailed to you, or you go to the store, and you get it, like... The, the, when it arrives, or even if you pick it up from the store, whatever it might be, even the packaging looks attractive. Have you ever, the way that Apple wraps things in white with the plastic inserts, right? They could be selling garbage and I would buy it. I'd be like, that looks amazing. Like, can I, you know, it's so desirable and beautiful. And I remember like each time I've gotten an iPhone, you remember how careful you are with it? You don't want it to get scratched. You, don't, you can even order it now with its own case to come with it so that there's no chance of not getting it covered in something protective like immediately. I remember my very first iPhone when I was, I mean, I was, I was young and dumb, right? I was stupid. I was like, I'll wing it. Yeah, nothing's going to happen to it. What could go wrong, which is kind of a mantra in my life, you know? And I've learned in 42 years, the answer is everything. You know, in this case, I get this iPhone and they're like, do you want a case for it to keep it safe? And I was like, no, like, I think it'll be fine. You know? And I remember like the same day, it's my first iPhone, the same day I had this horrible long scratch down the back and I just felt like, man, it's ruined now. It's, you know, it's terrible. And so now when we get our new phones, like we immediately put them in cases to keep things from happening. And despite the fact that I have one on my phone right now, I'm curious who in the room, the back of their phone looks like mine, which is basically a spider web, right? Of cracks. Anybody? It's, we got one over here, a couple of us. Yeah, mine is shattered. Like, it's so bad. It's become kind of a joke in our family. Kind of a badge of honor where it's like, look at the back of dad's phone. And it just keeps going. And we kind of wonder how long it'll continue before the whole thing just stops working. But I kind of I want to see how long that'll last. I remember recently Eli was bragging about this to one of his friends. And he was like, come see my dad's phone. And he goes to, right? And he goes to pull the case off of it, like, so that the friend could see it better. And we all had to be like, no, you know, because all of those shards of glass would come falling out. It, it would just descend into a dust cloud, right? Of pieces that are broken. And it's funny 
It's even a source of pride or bragging when it's an iPhone, something that arrives so pure and undamaged into the world, but not so funny when it's a person. Right? I realize the way that like these things that are so different do tend to mirror each other. Like when a baby arrives in the world, we wrap it in something so that nothing bad will happen. We try to keep it pure. We try to keep it innocent. We try to keep anything bad from ever happening to it. Right? The same as when our iPhones get here. Only the baby is so much more worthwhile. I mean, the scriptures say that before you arrived in the world, did you know the Bible says that you were formed in your mother's womb, maybe before she even realized it. Psalm 139 goes, For you created my inmost being. Isn't that amazing? You are not an accident. You weren't discovered. You know, like, it's not like God went, oh, what? You know, like, you were knit together, David says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's an author who made you. Your works, David says, are beautiful. I know that full well. You don't make garbage. I'm valuable. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret. When I was woven together, I love when I was woven to you were woven together in the secret place, in the depths of the earth, right? David goes, Your eyes saw my unformed body before I was even a thing. Before I was even a body, your eyes saw me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You're not an accident. Your days are written ahead in his book. Even before you were born, you were fashioned lovingly, intentionally, gently in the womb of your mother. You are not an afterthought. You are not an accident. Every bit of you is on purpose. And then we're born. And and I don't know your story specifically, but I would imagine somebody wrapped you in a blanket right away. They stuck one of those goofy hats on your head right away to keep anything bad from happening to you, right? But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? Try as we may, try as hard as we can, that damage is still done somewhere along the way. Isn't that true? Like something chips at us. Somewhere along the way we get cracked. We get damaged. Our pieces are continually at risk of falling apart. And we come up with better ways than others to deal with this. But it's true for all of us nonetheless. It happens at some point along the way. When I was 8 or 9 or 10 years old, I was taken to counseling. Now, Reminder, this is the late 80s, early 90s, and counseling wasn't really a thing, right? Those weren't very therapeutic days back then. Like the understanding if you went to counseling is like something's wrong with this guy. Like there, you know, and so I assumed, well, yeah, something's wrong with me. And I I had been born into a very complicated situation. Some of you guys know this story. A father who didn't express his anger very well would sometimes take it out on his kids and I, you know, I got shipped around from counselor to counselor to counselor, and I knew that I was being taken to counseling because of a common fear that everybody in my life had, me included, that I would turn out like my father. 
That was the worst thing that would happen. That I would not only inherit his name, I'd inherit his temper. And so I'm in counseling. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I remember we colored some pictures. We talked some. Ink blot tests are a real thing. Like I remember they'd slide stuff over and be like, what do you see? And I had a lot of fun with that. And yet, even as a eight, nine, ten-year-old, my major takeaway from this experience was don't be like your father. That's what I heard. I mean, that's not what anybody said, but it's what I heard. That was be anything, just don't be him. Be anything, but don't be him. Well, follow that out a bit. Look at the implication. What was my father? He was a herder. He was an abuser, a manipulator, a deserter, a villain. So what would I be? Well, I'd be the opposite of all that. I'd be a helper. I'd be a rescuer. I'd be a fixer. I would be someone who did things, who helped things, who saved things, who was the opposite of a destroyer. I'd be a helper. What's interesting is that the enemy of our souls, the enemy of all our souls, the enemy of my soul, the enemy of your soul, you have an enemy of your soul. He began to leverage that in my life. And some of you guys know this battle. He began to leverage this idea to where it became the lens by which I saw everything in my life. So I don't make the team. Well, it's because I didn't do enough. I didn't try enough. I wasn't helpful enough, right? I didn't make a particular grade. Well, it's because I didn't earn it, right? I didn't try hard enough. I didn't do enough. I didn't fall in with a particular friend group. Well, it's because I didn't do enough, right? Everything that was going wrong in my life, my messaging was hardwired to say, this is your fault. You did, if you had tried harder, if you had done more, if you had worked more, and it didn't take that, take that long for the, I didn't do enough inside of me to turn into I'm not enough. And what that did beneath the surface, and this is dangerous stuff, but some of you guys have lived it too. It began, it began to be the lens by which I saw it. I'm not thinking I'm not enough. I'm thinking I'm not enough, right? It's the lens by which I see everything in the middle of my life. And so in the middle of all that, I make a vow to myself that I'm going to be enough. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to save people. I'm going to rescue people. If my father's sin was hurting and abandoning, and the worst thing I could be was my father, then the best thing I could be would be helpful. And the most helpful thing I could do, especially for a little boy who watched his family suffer, would be to become the ultimate rescuer. That's the lens by which I see my life. And I've got some gifts for that. I'm a type two on the Enneagram. I'm a helper. I can see needs and next steps before you've even asked for them. I've got a particular item ordered and on its way from Amazon before you even noticed it was running out, right? Because I'm a fixer. I'm a helper. Because the worst fear is not being enough. So I'm going to be enough. I'm going to prove them all wrong. And then I'll have worth. See, this became my clear plastic case around my broken phone, my identity, my value. (laughs) 
and you have one too. I mean, I've got mine up here on full display, but you've got one too. Things that hold together the broken pieces. Like, I don't know when it was for you. You came into this world innocent and pure and unblemished, and someone somewhere dropped you. Maybe early childhood, it seems it often is. Maybe it was as an adult. Maybe it's somewhere in between. Maybe it's happening right now. But there's often this formative experience somewhere in there. Whether it's trauma, hurt, loss, pain, something that despite our best efforts, we're trying to not hurt people, right? We're trying to protect our kids. Despite our best efforts, something still scratches that precious, innocent, pure, original upbringing. And it starts out as a crack. We try to ignore it. Like, oh, maybe this won't spread. Maybe this is something I can recover from. But it spiders out from there, doesn't it? It seeps. Even secular science is teaching this. Unaddressed, those behaviors spiral out, spider out from that epicenter. And it begins affecting all sorts of behaviors, doesn't it? We come up with different ways to control the spread. Different ways to keep ourselves from falling apart. But it still spreads. We still get busted up. In fact, I had my plastic case on my phone when all this happened. This case, by the way, it boasted wild claims. It said it would keep my phone safe forever. I could take it underwater. Nothing would happen. And I look and I go, yeah, but that thing still spread. It's still messed up. Isn't it the same about the habits we can come up with to protect our pieces? Our broken pieces? I mean, some of you guys, you, you came up with habits of control. That's been your response to the brokenness that you felt when you were dropped. Like, if I can just keep everything in control around me, then I have worth. Then people will see me as responsible, right? Or <laughs> perfectionism. If I can be seen as having all the stuff together, every, I'm, I'm doing it all, right? People envy me. That's our cheap plastic case that keeps the broken parts from showing. Maybe it's security. Like if everything in my life is secure, then nothing bad can ever happen to me. Or just fun. Some people are just fun. They're like, man, I'm not going to commit to anything, right? Because then people won't see the... Bro I'm just going to run from one adventure to the next and they won't see the broken pieces inside of me. Maybe, maybe it's helpfulness. I'll just be helpful. I'll just meet other people's needs and not have to look at my own. And it works maybe for a little while. These cheap, sometimes expensive, boastful plastic cases that we keep wrapped around ourselves in hopes that the spiderweb fractures will always be kept from spreading. And yet they always spread, don't they? We just come to the end of ourselves. We see how broken we are. I was reading in Colossians 1 this week, and I know you're like, are we going to get to Colossians 1? We're at Colossians 1 now. There is this line in Colossians 1 that just, it jumped off the page at me. Where, it, about these broken, all I could think about was my iPhone, the back of my iPhone. This line in verse 17, 
The Apostle Paul is writing here. And he's gotten to this section of Scripture that we've touched on before. But I really want to make sure we hit it strong this week. right? He gets to this section of Scripture that puts all of this into focus when he says, verse 17, In Him all things hold together. Maybe it's the hold together part. I saw the shards of glass in the back of my iPhone. But in Him all things hold together. Do you know what that means? There are times in your life, you come to the end of yourself. You're forced to confront how messed up or broken you are. There are times when those cheap plastic cases or the expensive ones that boast the wild brags that they show you that despite all of their effort, you're still cracked beneath. You're still busted up. Those pieces are still there. And if somebody looks at them hard enough or exposes them, they will shake loose. And it can feel like the whole world is, is falling apart. Because it is. That thing that you've invested in for keeping your world together is slowly being removed. And it hurts. Childhood traumas reemerge. He leaves she abandons. Your imperfections are revealed despite your best efforts. Despite your stock and in information or authority or control, you still can't control this. Despite the life you've built up hoping to be successful and idolized and secure, something is revealed that brings it all crashing down and you're left, it feels, with nothing. And it's precisely what Paul is writing to. The story of the Bible from front to finish that Paul is unpacking here is a story of a God who has been on the hunt from you from the beginning of time to save you and to save you specifically from those things. To say, this is a story of a God who made you who, who made you in purity, pristine and pure, and then puts you here in this broken world and has watched from heaven as, as, as you were damaged and hurt and abused, and saw how it changed you. He's watched as those pieces have fallen out. The case has to be removed. Things fall apart. But isn't it amazing that just when it looks like all hope is gone, all hope is lost, that nothing can be saved, that nothing can be salvaged, this God, the Bible says, Paul says in Colossians 1, introduces his son. The story of the Bible is a story that, of a God who watched all of that. He saw you get busted up and broken. And he goes, oh, I'm going to send someone who's going to buy back, emphasis, buy back those broken parts, those messed up, unsalvageable parts. I'm going to buy those broken pieces back. Few things get me as excited as the topic of redemption. Buying something back. That's literally what redemption means. Those broken pieces, those things you've experienced, those bumps, those bruises. Guys, this is exciting and good news. Because what it means when we look at Colossians 1 is that nothing in your life is wasted. No, none of these broken pieces are wasted. The stuff that you've gone through, none of that will be wasted. Not a single failure, not a single tear, not a single heartache, not the most... Epic scrub imaginable. Like, let's say you dropped an atomic bomb on your life and blew it into oblivion. Or someone else did. Redemption says, I can buy that back. 
It doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences, right? There's still those ripples, but God goes, man, I was so moved by you. I was so moved to you that I couldn't stand idly by. So God sent his son to buy all that back. That's what this passage teaches. Look at verse 15. The apostle Paul goes, the son, Jesus is the image. Okay, so Jesus, God sent his son. I know we say this every week, but I just want to say it again. Every other religion has what you must do to get your way back to God, right? Christianity is the only religion where God goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to do everything necessary to get to you. He sent his son into this mess to go, oh, let me buy back that broken case. Let me buy back that broken iPhone. Paul writes, the son, Jesus, the, the, the one that God sent to buy you back, he is the image of the invisible God. Okay, so this God that's been watching this whole time that you can't see, he is the image, the seeable portion of that God, the image of the invisible God. You go, maybe I didn't even know there was a God. And Paul goes, That's okay. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Who was Jesus? Paul would say, he's the the one who, he's the someone, the image of the invisible someone who's been watching this whole time as you've gotten beaten up. He's the firstborn over all creation. This idea of firstborn can be used to describe in the Greek either priority in time, meaning like first, or supremacy in rank. And I think Paul means it both ways. Jesus was there at the beginning, and he's supreme over everything. This Jesus created you. And then he goes, for in him all things, so if you had any doubt about that, you're in all thing, right? In him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Do you know what that means? Rulers or authorities? There's a spiritual battle going on in this life that we live. Many of us don't talk about that. But in Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul goes, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood alone, but against the rulers, the authorities, there's that word again, against the powers of this dark world and spiritual forces. Like all heaven and hell are warring down here. And we can sometimes forget that those spiritual forces that are wreaking havoc on our lives, are not on equal footing as Jesus? Like, we would all agree with that, right? We would go, oh no, of course, Jesus is more powerful. But sometimes we don't pray like that's true. We pray or live as if, well, there's nothing I can do. It's passive. Like, they're, you know, they're opposing me. What am I supposed to do? And the Bible says that those forces work for Jesus. Like, in the end... Okay, you remember in Job? Remember Job? Job's like the most ancient Old Testament text. At the beginning of Job, Satan is hanging out up in heaven, which I don't know why he does that, but he's up there. And and God's like, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan is like, well, he's only faithful to you because you've blessed him so much. Allow me to attack him, and we'll see if he continues to be faithful. And God goes, okay, Satan has to get permission. That's the big takeaway there. Okay, New Testament example. Jesus is at dinner with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And and Peter's like, man, if everybody else denies you, I won't deny you. And this is where Jesus has to say, actually, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. 
but I've prayed for you. Okay, so that means these spiritual forces have to get permission from God. And if he gives that permission, he's going to use it, whatever happens as a result, to make you more into the person he's created you to be. You see both examples, Job and Peter, both emerge stronger in the long run. So if God allows it into your life, he's going to use it. So in Colossians 1, where it says, okay, so let's go back and reread that verse. Now, knowing all of that, in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Guys, if you're being spiritually afflicted, the Bible says, I mean, even those forces at the end of the day are working for him. He's going to use that. This is good news. Because whatever's oppressing you ultimately is working for him. He might allow it to bring you to him. Guys, this is my story, right? Because of this defining moment in my life and counseling when I'm young, the enemy took advantage of something that had nothing to do with me. That situation I was born into, man, I, that had nothing to do. I can't save anyone. I can't rescue anyone. Are you kidding me? But with an opening like that, hell is going to swoop in there and start to whisper, start to accuse, start to twist, start to poke. And I didn't know any better because it's going on so deep. And that became my identity for the longest amount of time. I've got to fix. I got to help. That's where my worth comes from. In fact, I'll be 43 this year. This will be my fight for the rest of my life. To slip into the way of thinking, this is where my value comes from. It's hard for me to believe what God says about me is true. That what I think about me, what my flesh, my, the enemy whispers to me is not true. To just accept that God loves me, that's so hard. To just be still, like I don't have to earn it. It's so much easier to let God give me a list, right? Just give me a list of what I need to get done for you, right? I'll go run out and get some stuff done. That's way easier than just, wait, God, you love me? You send your son to die for me, to buy back my broken pieces, and, and to stay there? Guys, we have to focus on what, what the Bible says about Jesus. There's this rest that comes from beholding who Jesus is. And truly understanding the message of the Bible, the gospel. If we look at ourselves, we look at our stuff, the broken pieces, the cracks or flaws or the things that we use to temporarily cover those, all that leads to is, is, is eventual frustration. We can either choose to look at, to behold the beauty of Christ described in the Gospels, and by doing so become more and more and more like Jesus. Or we can stare at our idols, our broken cases that cover our brokenness, and become more and more malformed and deformed and dehumanizing ourselves. But those are our only two options. To behold Jesus, the God who became fully human. Or to behold our idols, those things that we think can do what only Jesus can do. That's why we look at this passage today. Verse 17, he's before all things, and in him there's that line, all things hold together. Now, what, a great, what a great promise. 
He knew what was going to happen to you. He knew the bumps. He knew the cracks. He knew the spider web fractures. He was there before it happened and he bought you back from it. And just when you think those pieces are emptying emptying you out, could it be that he's using them to bring you into a deeper knowledge of him? It says, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This thing down here we call church, he put it here. And so in this community, we grow to discover him more. He leads it. We're the agency that's charged with pronouncing this good news to the world. The, a world that, by the way, is trying so hard to find anything to cover their cracks. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell on him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the story of redemption. This is salvation. This is the gospel, right? Few things get me fired up like this. The one who spoke the world into the existence. The one who says, everything obeys me, looks at you and looks, all of, looks at all of these broken pieces you're carrying, all the guilt and the shame and stuff in your rear view. He looks at that bomb you dropped or the bomb that got dropped on you. He looks right at it and with all his power and all his majesty and all his beauty, he can declare redeemed, bought back, turned And then he moves towards us in his grace. He's not running from us. He moves towards us. And those things that we've put around our cracks, I mean, they just shatter on on his rock. Because this rock says there's nothing in your past or your present that I can't redeem, that I can't cleanse. And in fact, what we often see is that that then becomes your ministry, right? That, that plastic case that you built around your broken pieces. Isn't it so interesting how the lane that people get saved in ends up becoming the lane that they serve in? To go find more people who are wrestling or struggling with those same things. Like he can redeem those broken pieces and then use them to go reach other people who are in danger of going the same direction as you. For God was pleased, verse 9, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things. He's fixing everything, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He argues you are perfectly loved. You are perfectly loved right where you are. That debt, that crack, those broken pieces, that source has been neutralized. You don't have to live like that anymore. He delights in you. He cheers you on. He wants you. Think of the price that he paid to have you in his presence and then Paul summarizes, he's like, I mean, he's losing his mind over this. He summarizes, he goes, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemishing the iPhone and free from accusation. You're, restored, you're brand new. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. 
He goes, man, just stay focused on that gospel. Stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on the cross, what he's done for you. You're going to be tempted to stray back towards those phone coverings that you used to use to cover those broken pieces, right? Stay focused on the cross. Stay focused on Jesus. And you won't move in that direction. It strikes me today that, I mean, we have one of two responses to this. Either one, you didn't know this. You never knew this. You didn't know there was a God fighting for you, moving towards you. You've been trying to cover your own cracks. And you keep realizing many times along the way, I can't do it. Or you did know, but you forgot. And you started migrating back towards those lesser things that have offered offered to cover your phone in the past. Like, what can I do? What can I be? How can I not be seen for the cracks that I have? It's easy to do. Guys, I surrendered my life to Jesus on October 29th, 1999. There were a few points along the way where I got serious about faith, but that's kind of, when I look back, I go, okay, that's the night where everything changed. I mean, I can have this peace. I can have this forget. I can have this love that I don't have to earn or deserve. And so for about a year, I just sank into it when, oh, I just let God love me. And after about a year, guess what I went right back to? How can I help you, God? What can I do for you? I got to earn this. Everything rests on me. And this will be my fight for the rest of my life to go back and back and back to go, okay, God, I did it again. I, took my, I put my eyes on me. I put my eyes on the back of my phone. I put my eyes on my phone case, right? Those things that I've been developing, those habits to cover the trauma. I got to get my eyes back on you. The answer, no matter what camp you find yourself in, maybe you didn't know or you did and you got distracted. What's so beautiful is the answer is the gospel. So verse 23, this is the gospel that you heard, right? Just remember the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering to you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. There's a lot here, but we're going to move through it real quick. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. So Paul goes, my life's work now, my goal, my job is to go tell people this story. There's a God looking for you. You don't have to live that way anymore. Right? The, to, to tell you the mystery. The mystery isn't like a who did it, right? The mystery in the Greek is like something that's been revealed. Here's the revelation. God is for you. Jesus did everything to, to bridge the gap between us and God. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, and I love that, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Guys, this is, this is crazy. That the Bible, that Christ would be in you? The God of the universe. His son, he would place him in you, a Gentile? If you're in the room and you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, right? And back then in this time period, they didn't believe that Gentiles, like, they, they were dirty. They were gross. It was, you know, like that was truly, like the Jewish people in this time period that Paul's writing wouldn't walk within a certain vicinity of a Gentile in case that the wind that comes off of them would get on them, right? 
And Paul goes, this is the, this is the mystery that he looks at Gentiles now and goes, Christ in you, the hope of glory, even to Gentiles, to broken, messed up phones? Do you understand, like, with a price that's been, he's like, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He goes, my job now is to go tell everybody. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is this truth that's been revealed? That God is for you. That he's moved heaven and earth to get to you. That you don't have to live this way anymore. You don't have to try to come up with your own best efforts. They don't work. You were born into a broken world. And you were, you were precious and innocent and you still got scratched. Despite your best efforts. And chances are, because you got scratched, you developed some ways of trying to trying to deal with that. And some of those work better than others, but at the end of the day, if you peel that case off, your pieces will fall apart. And Jesus goes, I want to buy those back. I want to be I want to be who resurrects that. I want to be your hope. There is a rest that comes from beholding who Jesus is. If we look at ourselves and our stuff and our broken pieces, or those things that temporarily hold our broken pieces together, that leads to frustration. You can either choose to look at, to behold the beauty of Jesus as described in the gospel, and by doing so become more and more like him, or you can behold and stare at your idols, growing more and more malformed and deformed and dehumanizing yourself. But those are our only two options. Behold Jesus, or behold your idols. So that's why we're going to end in singing today. Uh, Paul loses his mind in this passage. Just going on and on about Jesus. I mean, what Jesus has done for you. And he goes, man, if I keep staring at my phone, right, I'm going to move back towards that thing that I'm Those habits that I've developed to deal with my brokenness. Or I'm going to stare at Jesus. And be moved to worship of him. And watch everything else kind of come into conformity with the truth of that gospel. That God would do that for you. So Lord Jesus, as we move into this time of worship. I pray that, that you would be glorified. That, that you would help us to, to cast our eyes on you. To not be moved towards those broken, to, towards those idols, those things that we've come up with for protecting our broken pieces, our brokenness, our shame. But that instead we would, um, we would lift you up and remind ourselves there's a God who's so moved by us that even though sin disconnected us, that you didn't reject it, you didn't move away from us, you moved towards us in the person of Jesus. And when things feel like they're falling apart, when things feel like they're coming apart, that might be exactly where you'll have us. So that we can get rid of these false things that we've been clinging to and be moved into the God who sent His Son into the world. So Jesus, right now, we lift your name up. We proclaim your name. Oh,
Thank you again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on who we are, check out our website, midtownvineyardchurch.com. We'd love to hear from you. Make sure you leave us a review or drop us a comment. Until next time, have a great day.